Uh, well, Carl Fogarty, welcome to our podcast. Uh, thank you very much for joining us in the middle of this COVID lockdown again. How are you doing? Um, I'm not doing too bad. I'm probably struggling a little bit this time, if I'm honest, perfectly honest about it. Uh, last year was, I don't know when the announcement the lockdown last year, the sun came out and never went in. So it was, it, it, and it was a bit of a novelty anyway. So it made it a lot easier. This time, um, with January, I hate January anyway. It's, I usually get out of the way of it and go away somewhere else and warm for, for 10 days or so. So January always gets me kind of down, depressed. Anyway, with the COVID on top of that, I must admit, I've had a, I've had a few wobbles myself <laughs> in the first few weeks, but uh, kind of got into, obviously, we're into February now. So I, I feel I can see the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit when it comes to March and the clock's going forward. But uh, yeah, like like a lot of people, I found this one a lot harder than the, the than the one last back in last March. I think we were talking about that. Uh, uh, Shaky was talking about that as well. About the at the moment, I think this lockdown is particularly bad, and it is because of the weather. And I think the yeah. numbers as well. The numbers are just biblical now. You're looking at you know seventy, eighty thousand people getting infected every day. I mean, now it's dropped, and I think now it's down to eighteen. I think one of the one of the key things for me, I think, in the beginning, you know, especially in last year, like you said, you know, that the weather was good, people were out, and it seemed to me like, you know, everybody you spoke to was like, oh yeah, I know somebody who knows somebody who knew somebody that had had it and said it was no worse than a cold. And I think as the as the lockdowns have progressed, if you like, it's like now when you speak to people, it doesn't matter who you speak to, everybody seems to know somebody who has been affected by yeah. it in in one way or another, and some in in far worse ways than others. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a tricky one. What have you uh, What have you learned, or have you done anything new in the lockdowns, Carl? Have you Have you got any new hobbies or anything that you've used to sort of kill the time a bit? I've learnt loads of new words, like <laughs> you can't share them on here, and uh, social distancing, and oh, yeah. Zoom calls, and yeah. Teams meetings. I've learnt loads of new words. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I, I mean, last year was like I said, it was quite easy because the weather came out, and I was outside. I was just doing. I've yeah, got but a bit you had COVID obviously. last year. You yeah, caught just, COVID pretty sorry? early on last year, didn't you? You actually caught COVID. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you keep cutting out when I speak. Um, yeah, we we all had it in uh, March, April. I had it, and uh, yeah, it wasn't pleasant. Um, yeah, I felt you know just really bad, just like having a really bad cold. I guess in some ways, but I was aching a lot, coughing a lot. Um, and yeah, it was wasn't good. Uh, Mikhail had it a lot worse than me. She got on her chest and she was struggling with the breathing. It was like, you know, I was on the phone to the doctor and uh, he sent out like an inhale and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know whether it helps or not. To be honest with you, um, I think it just she, she just she came through it. And but it was a bit a bit scary. I think my dad's had it pretty badly. He didn't, he didn't have the the test though, so we don't know if hundred percent certain. But I had I was offered the the antibody test about a few months later by the doctor and it showed that we were positive that we'd, we'd had it, which we knew we'd had it anyway, to be honest. So um, the way I felt, I never, never had anything like that before. Um, so it kind of feel, or I did feel like you're indestructible now. I think, right, I've had it. It's, it, it's I, I can go out and I've got a license to go and do what I want now, but obviously that's not the case anymore. They said, but if you can get it again, I thought, great, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant. Don't want it again, but, um, I think you can get it, obviously different people get it in different ways. Like I cut our kids at it and it was just, you know, they felt a bit rougher in every day or two. That was it really. One of them lost a, t- a sense of smell and taste. Well, you know, it was just for a week or two. That was about it really. So, um, obviously for some people it's, it's a killer and others, they just not even notice it. No, 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 they've got it really. So, um, yeah. So tell us about, I mean, COVID has been, pretty uh pretty bad for everybody and i think when you you said you had covid last year and you've got over it i mean now 
you could get it again potentially. I don't think you will, but I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. But I think your whole career, if we go back now to where it all started, I'm a massive fan of yours, Carl, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Paul. And um, I've all, I remember I was living in Cyprus in the 90s. And so I, I was watching all your races from Cyprus. I was, I was watching, keeping an eye on your career, watching the, you, you, I mean, what fascinated me was um, the story about you bought your first bike to go out racing, the first Ducati from, a, was it a dealership in Manchester, the Ducati dealership? Was that right? Yeah, that was in 92. Um, I didn't have a, a brilliant year in 91, really. I was doing all the right things in, in sort of night on the RC30 in 89, 1990. And Honda wanted to sign me again for 91. But the bike was it was just way past itself, I think, to be honest. It was probably the slowest bike. Well, it was the slowest bike out there. And for me, the worst handling as well. You couldn't carry course with this bike at all. The front end of it was horrendous on a lot of circuits. So my results weren't that good, really. It was really frustrating because I I was doing the World Superbike Championship like pretty much three quarters of it with, with Honda, so clean Honda Britain. And, you know, really struggling to get in the top eight, you know. So when you've got results like that, and I knew why I was getting results like that, but, um, you know, so people watching, they, they, they just think you're making excuses, really. So... I found myself really at the end of 91 knowing uh, I was so confident in my own ability. I was better than all these guys. And I kept saying that, but no one really <laughs> believed me or listened to me. So the only thing I could do, really, I didn't really have anything on the table for 92. I just spent the money that I had from from, from racing with Honda and stuff in, in 1990, 91 and, and buy my own bike to go out to prove, I guess, you know, that I, that I could match these guys and run with these guys and win races. And, and that's kind of what happened, really. The second round, with, with no spur wheels or anything, and um, went to Donington and, and won. And it just, you know, everybody went, wow, he was telling the truth then. Um, you know, and that was it, really. I kind of, there's one race that kind of makes it for you. I bet maybe it's probably shaky as the same one with Brands Axe, possibly, in, in all three. And that was probably the one for me where I was struggling, struggling. And I went out and spent the money uh, on the right kind of bike, they could probably the best bike you could buy then over a counter through the Manchester Ducati lot, who, who obviously raced for many years with Mike Hill and sports motorcycles. So they helped me a little bit. Um, and then obviously Ducati saw what I was doing on the bike. And I was then a regular thorn in the side of all the factory teams throughout the year then, and, and the races that I did. And obviously I won the World Endurance Championship. That, that, that helped pay to run the Ducati. It really did. That was a, a bit of a lifesaver because I won every round of the, of the World Endurance Championship except one, Suzuka. And that the money from that paid for the for the Ducati. Uh, did did the British Grand Prix and like you know sort of shocked everybody there with on this privateer bike running fifth. So a few laps to go on, on that with and then the, went down the coolant. I think um, Kashinsky dropped. So everything I did that year, I just I couldn't. I just turned to gold. Really, it was just a fantastic year for me. Even though I had to kind of go backwards to go forward in in um, in spending my own money to prove that I was good enough to win it at any level, any kind of bike and. Uh, and then obviously I got the contract from Ducati in, in 93. And as they say, the, the rest is history, I suppose. You know, back then, Carl, when, um, you know, you talk about that World, in, World Endurance Championship, you won that with Terry, didn't you, Rhymer? What do yeah. you think it was about you that, that, that kind of made you get that much further than the guys that you kind of raced with? Because there was you, there was Wit, there was Terry. You know, there were a few of you that were all on a fairly kind of similar level at, or it looked to be at some point. But then you just kind of 93 took off and, and away you went, didn't you? What do you think it was that left left the guys behind? Yeah, I just went around the corners faster. That was it, really. <laughs> <laughs> no rocket science, isn't it, Shaky? You know that. <laughs> the faster you go around the corners, the faster your lap time is. It's simple, really. Um, you know what? I was always 
from from probably eighty nine onwards, believe it or not. I mean, I had I had some years in the wilderness with, with broken legs. I missed two years in a way. I was, but go back to like eighty six, and I was in the summer of eighty six. Song about that, isn't it? I think. Oh, sorry, sixty nine. Um, <laughs> I was flying on the 250M, absolutely flying. I did four lap records in four weekends at Scarborough Abbott Airport and Mallory in Snetterton. I finished second at Snetterton, actually, behind Andy Watts, who had led, led the British Grand Prix, I think, the year before, 250s. I got a ride in the British Grand Prix and uh, on the early um, EMC thing, and I couldn't ride. It was an awful thing. The, the guy, the team was just, it's just really all worked to get on with me. So I got my old, I took my bike down there, my 250M, I got out and begged the organisers, let me ride that. And uh, at the last minute, they're like, I've missed a qualifying session. They let me out. Said, you better not get in the way of Carlos Lovado or any other top guys, Christian Sauron and whatnot, <laughs> or not knock anybody off. It was a bit wild, but I was very, very fast. And I rode the British Grand Prix and finished 11th from the British Grand Prix on 250. I was only 20 years old. Um, so I was absolutely flying that summer. And then the weekend after, the week after, it would have been Alton Park, my local circuit. I thought, right, we're going to win the British Championship round here, definitely, you know. Um, I went there testing on it on the Tuesday, and it's the one regret in my life what I did in racing is probably this now. I found I was struggling a bit for, you know, with, it wasn't, it was, it was expensive to team, you know, bike to run and things like that. And we didn't have much money, money sponsors. And I found an old slick tire, it was brand new. I think my dad had wrote, used it in 82 or 81 <laughs> on, a, on, on his RG500 or whatever. And I saw this uh, brand new tire though. Well, because running them internationals could run slicks. I'm just starting to run, run slick tires. So we put it in the 250. I went out and crashed on the second lap. I still swear it was that tire. It was like a rock hard plastic tire from five years before. Mm. I, I I run it, you know. So it'd been stood in the garage for five or six years. <laughs> and I crashed and broke my leg really, really badly. To be honest, in fact, that bad. I'm suffering weight now more than anything because it affects your, your knee your knee joint, your closest joint over many many years later. When when I did it, they said to me, "Look, you'll suffer with that now when you get to like 40s, 50s." And but when they tell you that at 21 or whatever, you thought, oh, "That's it doesn't matter, does away. it? Just does not happen, matter." You know? Yeah. So that kind of set me back from going. I just had a meeting with Chaz Mortimer as well, who, who wanted to run me in Grand Prix and on the 250 with uh, maybe it was Donny McLeod and Neil McKenzie. Oh, Neil, Neil had gone to the 500. That's right. I, I was replacing him. So I was, everything was going really, really well. I was absolutely flying on this bike. So, but I have this injury. Um, and then I come back in 87. I was just not the same guy. I couldn't get on the bike properly. My leg wouldn't bend back anymore to get on the 250. I, I crashed and broke it again, lower down where it got infected. So I had a few years um, just in the wilderness at the time when I, I was absolutely flying on this 250, you know. So it wasn't until 89 that I'm a first full year, really, of being fit again and, and fast, getting faster and faster. And at the end of 89, I was winning races on the RC30, and even on Metzler tyres and stuff, and the other guys on Michelin's and whatnot. And I remember the last race of the year, Neil McKenzie came back from Grand Prix to, to ride a Yamaha to supposedly win all three races at, at Donington Park. And I beat him in all three races uh, on the RC30. And I, I, from that moment on, I thought to myself, I am the best rider now Britain's got, best rider, even though... Nobody else probably would have believed that I did. I just thought I've, I've beaten the best guy. Who's Neil was probably our best rider in Britain in the late 80s, you know. And I've done that. So then the 1990s and 91 with the RC30 just held me back. It was so, I mean, James Whittam, it nearly destroyed his career in 1990. It was a really, really difficult bike to ride. It wasn't, the engine was really strong, really fast. But 
it was so hard on some sites like Donington and Mallory and Thruxton. It just this front would start rolling. Somebody like me who relied on corner speed, all my whole strength of my whole, you know, thing the thing I had more than anybody else, my, my corner speed I would carry, lean angle, corner speed, all that kind of thing. You could not do it with this RC30. So my results didn't look good at all, you know. Um, so then you, you like, lost a year or two there. But I always believe. I don't, I've kind of gone off on a tangent with all this now, but going back to probably when you shake asked me what made you think you were better available, and, um, and I just knew I was. I just went around the corners faster. But if you didn't have the right bike to do that, then, you know, like anybody, you can be the best rider in the world. If you haven't got the right kind of team and the bike behind you, then you're going to struggle to do that. You've got to find that, that, that team and that, that, you know, that bike that makes you, allows you to, to express yourself and, and, and be a winner that you, you think you are, you know you are. I mean, for for me, I think when the 916 came along, it changed everything. Because not only was it probably the best-looking bike I've seen for a long time, even today mm. you would compare the 916 against some of the modern bikes that are around at the moment. Yeah. But what you did on the 916 was really push Ducati, which at the time was okay. It was doing all right. It was this little Italian company that's really – it's become synonymous now with World Superbike, the Ducati. Um, and obviously globally it's become – one of the biggest brands, one of the biggest, certainly one of the most beautiful bikes in the world. But it all started really with that 916 for me. Um, how did you get on with the 916? Was it an instant relationship you had with it? You thought, yeah, this is the one. Was the chassis yeah, I that say good? It was instant, no. I mean, the bike before that, I think a lot of people would say that's the bike that kind of did it for them. The 888, that was a, mm. a bit of an iconic bike. That was a great bike to ride. I rode that in, in 93 and, and should have won the championships before I won. Well, it was my first year as a factory rider. I was a bit hard-headed and I'd crashed out of five winning positions that were, wasn't even being challenged, to be honest. I think I won 12 races that year mm. and Scott won four. But, you know, he was very consistent, won the championship and I wasn't. So when I jumped on the 916 the first time, I didn't really like it too much. I mean, I remember seeing it for the first time at Donington Park and I thought, oh my God, that's, I've never seen anything as beautiful in my life. I can't, I can't ride that. I might fall off it. It's, just, <laughs> it's, too, it's too nice to ride. It's just stunning. Even now, it looks far better than any new bike you ever see. Now it's incredible how bikes don't look as good as what well, that one does now. It's over twenty years old, you know. But so I rode it at Donington in the British Superbike round, first round. I managed to win both races, but it felt nervous. It felt twitchy, you know. I felt like I could have gone past on the on the old bike. Um, so as it the first round again, I won the first round, which and I'm still saying this bike, it's I can't, I can't ride it. But they said, "Well, you've won the first race." I, said, I know, but. I can go fast on the old 888. I know I can. And it, it wasn't until probably um, we got to, I, I brought my wrist in the second round, um, which didn't help. So I, I lost a lot of points and struggled a little bit on the bike, obviously with the wrist in Mizano. And then we came back to Albacete. And I was always really good around Albacete and, and won the races there. And then after that, we tested. And I was going round and round on this bike at Mugello, and I couldn't get out of 57s, which was still a pretty good time then. And I just complain about the bike. And it's, it's it's nervous, and it's it's twitchy, and you know I, I can't carry the corner speed I want to carry. And um, they had somebody, they had the one of the Kajiva riders on on a on a bike there, and he went a bit faster than me. I'm thinking, I don't believe this. He Doug Chandler, it was, I think. He was on the test bike, and I thought it was a bit embarrassing. And no one said anything to me about you know what bike he was on or anything. So, but he'd gone, he'd gone like the low 57s hour in high 57s or something. At the end of the day, he said, "Dear Carl, ride this, try this bike out." And I went out and just went bang, 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 55, 55, and just thought, "Whoa, this is fantastic! I've, I've got this for the next round. What have you done?" And it was just lengthen the swinging arm, 
altered the front rake further out. So they made it more like the 888, I guess, a, long, a longer bike. And it, then it was just, it could hold the line so much better. It was so much easier to ride then, so much flowing and, and carry more current speed on it and hold the line better than, than I could when it was a little short and a bit nervous and twitchy, you know. So initially it wasn't suited to me straight away, but it, within a few months we, we got it pretty much bang on. I've always said the best bike I've ever ridden really was the bike in 95 when it was in its second year and all the little teething problems I guess we had in 94 were ironed out. We had a few reliability issues with it in 94 as well. So, um, But obviously we came strong at the end and won the championship. But um, the bike was, yeah, it wasn't instantly suited to me, but it didn't take as long to, to get it right. And like I said, in 95, the thing was just unbelievable. Still today, if people ask me the best bike you ever rode, I'd say the bike, the 916 from 1995, I could just make it do anything. That you know, it just it was just it was just so 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 easy to ride in the corners. Was Beautiful. that the year, Carl, when you were running like carbon discs and magnesium everything and like proper proper full factory superbikes? Yeah, we were on the um, on on carbon discs and that one. We I think it might that stopped in '95. I'm sure it did. I think shaky. I think we the last time we run carbon would have been '94. I'm sure it was. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, in a way, they were like uh, what are now probably an early MotoGP bike is is that is them bikes from they weren't really super bikes back then. There were, no, were nothing like the the bikes you you went and bought in in, in your local dealer, a Kawasaki, Yamaha, Suzuki, Honda, whatever. They were they were proper trick things. I mean, the factories from Japan threw so much money at these bikes, um, the teams and that you know HRC and uh, Yamaha factory and Kawasaki and obviously Ducati as well. Um, to win that because it was a big championship to win for the manufacturers. It's, it obviously sell, sold bikes to them, you know, sold lots of super bikes back then. Don't think they sell so many super bikes <clears throat> anymore. Um, so they weren't really super bikes. We had different frames and everything in the back of the truck and different engines. There's so many things you could do to get this bike ready if you had enough time to, for the race on, on Sunday. And then when Mitchell opened the back of the doors of the, the Michelin truck and it's like, there's tires everywhere. They can <laughs> trying to find the one that would, you know, mainly in the late nineties when we had a few tire issues, they're getting too hot on the 17 inch before it went to 16.5. Uh, it was like, it's so much work to do on a Friday and Saturday to get it right for Sunday. Whereas I think now it's a lot, of, it's a lot easier to be honest. It's a lot more, more like a road bike now. And I think the rules are more as they come out, they, you buy them from a, a shop, I guess, not too, even got headlights on. Well, Sticky, sticky on one, I guess. And, um, <laughs> and they got the tires, it's just three tires and it's soft, medium, and hard. So we had so much stuff to try and get through to find that would work for, um, for a Sunday. It was, it was incredible, really. What do you think? I mean, obviously you dominated in the 90s. You made that move to Honda, which didn't work out particularly well. But then you jumped back with Ducati and then again, another couple of championships followed. Um, but I think the Honda did go. <laughs> I think when you left Honda... Um, to go back to Ducati. Wasn't it Honda that dominated it? It, it sort of came through. Was it you that set it up? Is that what you're going to sell me? The Honda was good. It was very good, to be honest. Um, it was so fast. It really was fast. The hell of it. It was so fast. Ockenheim and, and Monza. And it got faster even the year after I got off it, really. It was, you know, it was always hard to beat the Honda when I was on the Ducati in 97 and 98. It really was. You couldn't get near it, to be honest, on them circuits. And they won. 99, we closed the gap a lot then. I think 2000 onwards, the Ducati were faster again. But I rode the Honda, um, obviously 96, and it was seen as a disastrous year. I mean, I went down to the last round, I could still have won the championship, to believe it or not. Mm. I was 32 points behind, I think, at the end. Um, but it was the inconsistency. Yeah, well, the Ducati would seem to work everywhere on on the Sunday. I just won two races at, Al at um, Assen, 
Now I go to Albacete, which again was a circus. I love me, and I just again I just couldn't get it to the, the mid the mid corner grip, which I thrived on. You know that that corner speed. I couldn't get a tire, couldn't get the bike to really work at all, and I'd have to battle like hell and ride my heart out to get like a fifth or a sixth. You know, so but then they changed the rear swinging arm on the Honda, then back to what was you know a, a, a double sided one instead of the single um, for ninety seven. I mean, it's all lips and butts. Could all say, you know, things now, but I do think I probably would. I would have won it if I stayed with Honda '97. But you know, we'll never know that, obviously. Um, but when I went back to Ducati, you know, I, it's the one thing again. If you look back on your career, the things you shouldn't and shouldn't do, and like when Mick Dooney stayed with Honda, and like Jonathan Ray stays with Kawasaki, you get a winning team, a winning package, and a winning bike. You don't go breaking that up, and I did, and. It's just a stupid thing. So, and it cost me two world titles. Because when I went back to Ducati, things had, the personnel had changed. The suspension guy wasn't the same guy anymore. The engine guy had gone. And I, I couldn't ride the bike like I could ride it in 95. You know, it was really difficult to ride. I couldn't figure out why. It took us two years to get it right again, you know. Even into 1999. Remember, I remember going testing in 99. They said, now we've put the... Because I always remember riding the bike in 95. I could get right off the bike. It was really good to ride. And I, I couldn't understand why I couldn't really do that in, in 97 and, and 98. And then the guys had said, oh, we've gone back to the, the tank size now and dropped it low down like, like in 1995. I went, what? How come no one told me this like two years ago? I could never get off the bike in in 97. I was pushing hard, really was pushing hard. I ro- overrode the bike because they had the new injection system as well. It kept snapping mid-corner. I wasn't really off the bike up to all the line. And I threw the title away, really, give it to John, John, John was riding well on the Honda. He's a very talented guy. I won't say otherwise. And but I, I again, I crashed out of three or four winning positions because I just couldn't get the bike to do what it used to do for me in '95. It wasn't working for me. It was running wide all the time mid corner, and that was again a lot of that was down to I didn't know. You know, we're leaving the bike and the, the tank had changed and it came. A lot, it was bigger and higher up, so I was struggling to get off it. And <laughs> I hadn't known this until someone said for the '99 season we're. We're going, to, we're going to go out on two bikes now. We'll see which one you like best. I went, oh, that one's great. The tank feels really low. And he said, well, yeah, we've gone back to how it was in 95. I'm like, why didn't you tell me that two years ago when we come back to the car, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I might have not lost the championship then. And anyway. You, you know. just mentioned John Kaczynski there. Um, you know, John was, you know, a phenomenal rider. You're well known, obviously, back in the in the in the '90s for for hating your rivals and naming pigs after them and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> if you had to now, um, on this podcast, name your kind of strongest rival, if you like. What one rival stood out to you? Who was the one guy that that was like somebody that you had to think about come Sunday morning? I think John probably. I think um, yeah, because. You know, he, he, I mean, I, he was a very talented guy. He's won GP races, 250 world titles, world superbike. Um, uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't like racing with me. He didn't like it. He thought I was a bit dangerous and whatnot. But he was a talented guy and it was hard to beat. And if he, again, if you haven't got the bike, like I said, in 97, I just my first year back at Ducati, I mean, Mr. Year, it's, it had changed so much. And he grew with the Honda and we got. I got weaker with the, with the Ducati sort of thing, really. I led the championship for the first part of the season. And he got stronger and stronger on the Honda. And all the things I was complaining about with the Ducati didn't get any better. And I was starting to get found out then. I was having to push and push and push. And I crashed in, in, in Japan. I, I crashed in Albacete, my favorite circuit, one of my favorite circuits. Uh, I crashed at Brands Hatch, trying to too impatient to get, in, get into the lead. Um, so 
yeah, he probably got to me a little bit because um, he was, he wasn't, you know, he's, he wasn't he was a horrible little prick anyway at the time. And um, he, I didn't like he him. He spoke really highly of you. But he, I, you know, it's funny because I saw him last year. I haven't seen anyone for ages. I went to Laguna Seca last year for the, the launch of the, the, the Panigale thing, you know, the anniversary bike. And he was there. So we're like best mates, sat and had lunch together, everything, you know. It was bizarre. Mikhail was thinking, unbelievable. He said, if I could step back now, like 20 years, you two hated each other. Now you sat here having lunch, uh, a bit of passion in the Ducati tent. So, um, but yeah, he was he was the one. I mean, there was obviously Russell was was difficult to beat. They all were really. Edwards. Um, it was it always seemed to be the Americans. You know, they they were they were hard riders to beat. Everybody were out there trying to trying to win races, and they weren't afraid to say what was on their mind if they didn't win, like I wasn't really. But Kaczynski was. He was he was he was special to be honest. He was a special talent. Yeah. Where where, where did this intimidation come from? Because obviously you, you did like to intimidate your the other riders on the grid. I mean, was that a deliberate thing or was that just the way you were? Was that something you actually thought one we're going to say to him today? If anyone came up to you on the grid and said, "Good luck for it," yeah, can do one. I mean, <laughs> what, where did this come from? Don't tell me it's a northern thing. <laughs> I don't, you know what? I, I honestly don't know, to be honest. It, it, I don't know. I just think I, I just hated losing. I wanted to win so much that if someone got close to me or someone became a threat, then I'd kind of like, I'd say something. And I, don't, I don't really know why, because if I had my time again, knowing what I know now, I'd just keep my mouth shut. I know I would. I'd just keep my mouth shut and just get on with riding. I don't know why. I said what I said. I only would put more pressure on myself because I kept saying, oh, yeah, I'm the best. I'm, I'm going to win this weekend. So I'm thinking, now I look back and you get sent stuff like you all the time now because it's social media and whatnot and clips of you. And you're thinking, I'm thinking, why did I say that? Well, I just keep my mouth shut and get on around the bike. <laughs> and it would be a lot less pressure off me by saying what, it, you know, instead of saying what I was saying at the time, but it was crazy. But uh, I don't know why is the answer. Was, um, I mean, obviously, Shaky, you raced. Uh, you, you did all right. Did a bit. <laughs> I know it great. Not, not as well know, as him. <laughs> I know it grates you that you didn't actually win a world superbike, but I know British superbike you dominated. Yeah. Um, did you have any intimidation tactics? I mean, Carl's talking about it now. Did you have any? I'd like to think, in all honesty, that that I tried to keep my mouth shut a little bit, like Carl said just then. You know, I think that sometimes doing your your talking the on the way. track was always the <laughs> was always the best way. But um, yeah, you know. <laughs> I won a few championships, but none of them add up to a world championship. And and I'd, I'd give I wouldn't want them, but I'd give Carl six world to, uh, six BSB titles if he'd give me one world to fight one because I only wanted to be a world champion. I'm not interested in being British champion, you know. If you don't aspire to be the best in the world, yeah. then then what's the point in starting? And, and Carl, funnily enough, what what was it about your your career earlier on that that made you be um, not so focused? I mean, you you did everything. You did roads. You did the Northwest 200, you did the Isle of Man TT very successfully. You spent a little bit of time on 500s. You spent your time on superbikes. Why not focus on on one thing? Do you, do you ever regret not sort of going for that 500 title and maybe making a bit more of an effort or a concentrated effort? Or do you think that, you know, doing everything was was better? It, it just seemed to be the thing to do back then, really. It, it wasn't just me doing it. Everyone was doing it, really. It seemed to be you had to do all these things to get to that one thing you wanted to, whether it was Grand Prix or Superbike, as it turned out for me. But to get to that point, you felt like you had to just, I don't know what it was. Maybe it's maybe a, more of a Northern thing. My dad as well, being the kid, being brought up around the TT on the roads and stuff, I think that was, um, 
it was a big thing for me. I wanted to win those races, and I did. And once I won, really, I, I should have left her and moved on. I kind of said I would do, but I ended up going back for the odd year again, the year after the TT, and you know, back to Northwest and stuff like that. But um, I don't really know why, but it just seemed to be that everybody kind of did that. I was last of that kind of era that would ride any kind of bike, really, on any kind of circuit. I think before me, like Ron Aslam's and stuff, they went to the TT and won all sorts of bikes. Ron McKelney again. So there was... I was the last of that guys who left the TT and went on to to world success on short circuits, which obviously has not happened since me, and I don't think will probably ever happen again, to be honest. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know really. It was just um, it's just something you did. Uh, you felt like you had to, you know, ride everything just to try and get noticed. Really, um, I don't. It probably wasn't the right thing um, to do, but it just seemed the right at that time. You know, if you look back now, maybe you should have concentrated on just on the soup bike or something, which I think I pretty much did from 1990 onwards. I don't think I rode anything else then. It was just the fact that in 92, I needed the money to, to run the Ducati team. And that World Endurance thing was, was oh, it was a godsend now. It really was. And we, it was, it was, I mean, I look back now my career, I'm really proud of that. I mean, just to win the Le Mans 24 hour race and to win the world title. I think, I mean, I think I'm the only guy ever to have done three 24 hour races and win all three, you know, and it was just a great experience. One of the hardest things I've ever done. I don't know if you've ever done any 24 hour racing shaky, but I've, it was I struggled to concentrate for 25 minutes, let alone 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think ultimately you did, you did the 24 hours, you did Le Mans, you've done the TT, you've done, you've become four times world superbike champion. Um, are you satisfied with what you've done? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you could always look back and, you know, wish you know, this. I mean, yeah, it would have been nice to have jumped on that Yamaha, 500 Yamaha. I had the talks with Roberts a little bit in, in 95. In fact, I just found a picture. I might post it later. Kenny's got his hand on my shoulder talking to me all the press around us in Spain in 1995. And he wanted to ride the bike, I think, but Marlborough said no. Um, so, but, yeah, because I, I know the Yamaha would have suited me. I rode the Honda and a little bit of that, the couple of races in 1992, I hated the bike. It was like riding the RC30, but with more power. Um, just the front was horrendous. Couldn't get on with it at all. I finished sixth in Sweden on it, on the second second house on it. But the Yamaha, when I rode it at the Grand Prix, the the, the private Yamaha, I, finished, I was running fifth on it. It was just a race on my own. I was no one behind me, nobody in front, a few laps to go. The next thing, I'm flying down the road with, Kish, with Kaczynski and, um, and, and uh, Kevin Schwantz. Um, and I just thought that Yamaha, would have said, I mean, I, I think Catalora was a bit like me, and he he did well on the on the five hundred. He, I don't think he had the same probably aggression determination as probably what I have, but it was a fast corner speed kind of rider. When, when they then on certain bikes on the certain the five hundred, I think you could do that. Catalora on the Yamaha, maybe Caparossi, them kind of riders, even like even like um, Rossi, really, they come from one two five two fifty race. He knew how to run faster the corners. The Europeans became quite good on these bikes, and um, from obviously the early eighties and early 90s when it was all Americans and, and Australians. But um, it would have been good to be out Malvi Yamaha for two or three years and really up front and challenging for the world title and winning the races, which is not, I've no, you know, no question in my mind I would have done that easily, you know, especially at circuits like Assen and, and Donington. They're not going to get near me on, a, on, that, on that Yamaha round there, no chance. But um, <laughs> have I got regrets? It would have been nice, but no, because I'm, I'm still here now. A lot of people aren't still here. Very successful, you know, seven world titles in all and fastest ever guaranteed. So I think I did all right, really. Yeah. <laughs> From a kid that was struggling with really some bad, bad, bad injuries to his legs in when he was 21, 22 and lost two years there, really. So, um, 
We did all right. We did all right, Shaky, didn't we? You didn't do bad, mate. <laughs> 2,000. You didn't do too bad. I'm not, I'm not going to blow too much smoke up your backside, but anyway. <laughs> you, did, you, you didn't overlap, did you? Because you, no, you, we didn't, you no. started racing. He was you... so lucky. He was so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you, I remember meeting you. I don't know if you remember, actually. Um, it was in 1998. I just won the third title in Japan. And we came back to... Uh, after that, we came back to for the press to ride the bike in my bike, the World Championship winning bike in Mizano. I think it was December time. It was. Oh, if you yeah. remember this? And I remember. All the press were there. It was a horrible, miserable day. And uh, and I, you came up to me with uh, Colin Schiller from That's Fast it, Bike. From Fast Bike. You remember yeah. Colin? Yeah. Uh, I always had a lot of time for Colin. And he was saying, "Oh, this is shaky. He's going to ride the bike and do the write up for us for the Fast Fast Bike magazine." You remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you told me it was going to be a complete and utter waste of time because it was raining. Yeah, well, the thing was... I, <laughs> did he, did you beat his time? Circuit in the world. I don't know about beating his time, but I love riding his bike. <laughs> yeah. It was the worst circuit in the world anyway, in the wet. Yeah, slippery, wasn't it? Uh, are you going to go out still? He said, yeah. And, and you went... And that was the first time I come across you. So you, you, went, you went out... And you went, all right. I think you're only about six seconds a lap slower than me. Your nose has just come through our computer screen. Conditions were terrible. And I remember we called and said, he's going really well on that, you know, in set conditions. Anyway, so that's when I first met you. And then I remember in 1999, I think they were asking me, it might have been the Motorcycle News, asking me to look out for what young riders shall look out for. Shall we look out for, Foggy? Have you got any? you know, a, a young talent coming through. And I said, let's watch out for this lad, Shaky Byrne. And the other lad I said was uh, Carl Harris. And Carl went on to win the European Superstar Championship for that year in 99. And uh, I can't remember what happened to you. I don't know, but I, um, I, Thanks, I, I said to look out for you two guys. So uh, that's when I first met you. Do you remember that? Was yeah, that no, I do. Yeah, I was on the phone to all my friends afterwards. Yeah, I was just having lunch with Foggy, just, you know, just riding, <laughs> having a little cruise around on his bike. <laughs> it made a change Brilliant. from uh, from borrowing bikes off of people on the councillor's day, that was for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, at the, end, at the end of it, you had a, you did have an accident which seemed to um, curtail your career. Or, or were you psychologically anyway thinking, I'm getting to the end of it now, I've, I've had enough or I want a break? Um, it was it was hard. I must admit, it was getting harder and harder. The motivation to keep, you know, to go out and do it again, uh, you know, uh, it was because this it was so big back then. I didn't have anyone looking after me. I didn't really have a manager or anything. So it was, it was hard. But I was, you know, I I, I was ready for it. I was up for for this fight, obviously, you know. And I just didn't. It just the season didn't start well at all. Really, I picked up a shoulder injury, skiing of all of all things in in January. It was this, you know, my left shoulder, my left shoulder. I got over that and I started testing. I was absolutely flying in testing at uh, Valencia. And I just, I don't know, just relaxed, took me out of the ball a little bit and just went to one little bit, of one corner, I can't remember, I don't know the names of the corners. Before you go into airpin, it's like a sort of right. Stoners. Flick, sort of right, sorry, then open into airpin. I went straight on. I thought, I'm not going to make it. So I went straight on. And I was fastest in both days. So, you know, much faster than Colin on the Honda. Ran on and a big crash and did my other shoulder. And uh, the right mess had damaged a rotator cuff in, in my shoulder. So I had to go to the first round of the championships and not know whether I could race or not. And I, I was most, most of the day in, on the Friday in the hospital. I did, did very few laps. I did a few laps on, on Saturday and qualified, I think it was on the front row even, maybe third or fourth, possibly. I'm sure it was. But for the race, it was just a case of getting through the race. And to be honest, I rode really well. I was like right behind Colin and Hager. And I almost won the first race, really, because the, the two were, I thought we were going to take each other out, and I've just dipped through. But 
Anyway, they stayed on at least third race with his with his injury, and then the second race slid off again, uh, pushing, trying to catch the guys up because I got a bad start. So then I got to Australia, and I was fully fit. I finally got that shoulder was right from the ski, and this one was right from uh, from Valencia crashing testing. I was fully fit, ready to go, and it's just so ironic, really, that it was a shoulder injury that finished off. It's like almost someone say, "Look, you're not listening to us here." Um, you know, the third one was a big one, and you're not going to come back from this one, mate. That's it. It was a smash his bloody right shoulder. Sorry, left shoulder to bits. Um, and that was it. Yeah, game over, really. And I just rode one of the best ever races in that first race. I was on the wrong tyres. Heaven's open. There was only one guy gone for wet tyres. It was Goldberg on the Bimota. He won on the Bimota, didn't <laughs> he? Yeah, he came from back, back of the grid and won the race. And I, kept, I, I went over the line, so pleased. I've just kept this thing upright somehow, finished second. I remember thinking for the second race, right, because I've been fast as pretty much most of the weekend in, in all the qualifying sessions in, in Australia. And my bike, the Ducati in 2000, was a lot faster than the, the Honda. Never was the other years against the V4, but against his twin, the, the whatever it's called, I can't remember the name of it now. It was faster than that bike. And I thought, I'm going to win the second race. And all I remember is dropping a clutch on the, as, the, as the lights went to green. And the back wheel just spun up. I must have been on like a damp patch, obviously, left over from the first race it was it was drying out the sun was out but so i got a really really bad start uh all i remember is passing Gobert of all people coming through start and finish at the end of the lap one and that's all i remember that's my last ever memory of races after that i just i think there's about five or six laps of filling filling where i was pulling through the field up to six or seven setting the passes lap and then obviously had the accident and next thing i remember is waking up hearing a helicopter noise sort of thing and being in a helicopter in and out of consciousness you know so um yeah, it was a strange way for it. I never thought it was going that way, but you know, I'm still here. It could have, it could have been a lot worse. And the speed and the, the, the went into, I went into a tie wall, a crash in a place you wouldn't normally crash. I think because I, I went in with my shoulder and my head, it kind of took the cushion from. If I'd gone in with my head first, I don't think I'd have been here today, to be honest. But I'd gone in with shoulder and head, which that took the impact and. You know, a bit that, of a mess, that, but, that, um, that actually yeah. rings a bell with shaky as well. Yeah, it rung my bell that day. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, obviously leaving leaving the race circuit, and it's been what twenty years now. Um, you obviously we see a lot of pictures of you. There's YouTube stuff of you out on your dirt bike and out on um, variety of different bikes. Now, do you enjoy going on the road and just having a having a ride round? Yeah, I didn't really ride much uh, back back then at all, really. Maybe a bit of off-road, but I probably ride more now, right? And enjoy riding bikes more now. Well, not in this weather, obviously, but in the summer than, than I've ever done before, really. So, uh, yeah, it's strange that because I think most people you find who race don't really ride bikes on the road. But, no, no. Um, obviously, I don't race anymore. So, um, yeah, I enjoy, obviously, involved with CCM. We've got a good, a cool, good little funky bikes that they do, little sort of cool-looking retro type bikes there's a foggy version obviously that they, they do as well so i've got that in the garage we've got out with the mates over to the coast some, some fish and chips and whatnot in the summer it's um yeah look in fact this year we're going to pencil in hopefully when this covid thing starts gets sorted out and whatnot we get let out again hopefully in, it's either june or july we've penciled in the nc 500 if you know about it. it's got north coast 500 from inverness right back right, right right around the top of scotland back to inverness again it looks it looks beautiful. If you get the weather, it would be even even better. But um, so I'm looking forward to doing doing that with with the lads and that on on the bikes. Yeah. So um, 
I think yeah, I, get I, out on the bike. I think ultimately that would be we should join him. We should join him, Shaky, because it'd be a fascinating corner. I'll just sit behind with a little uh, GoPro on, watching Shaky come <laughs> on the outside of Cole Fogarty on the corner. <laughs> I could see yeah, it yeah. all coming up again. It wouldn't be me going. Around, it certainly wouldn't be me going around the outside of him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Not now. Take away the uh, take away the manufacturer loyalty, Carl. Um, obviously, you, you do you do your bit with CCM. Obviously, you got a, a fantastic relationship with Ducati as well, but. You had to pick one road bike for that for that trip you just spoke about. Um, what well, I know you probably wouldn't buy it, but what uh, what one bike would Carl Fogarty ride or would like to ride on that trip? Oh, CCM, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, if you do five hundred miles know. on one of them, fair play. <laughs> I don't really know, to be honest. Uh, just so it wouldn't be a super bike anyway. It'd be sort of comfortable, um, just a fun, comfortable bike like a super motor style bike would be would, mm. would be something wouldn't it really like you know with something with 600 900 cc engine really um yeah just sort of fun really just because it's obviously the scenery and, and the roads obviously very narrow roads at times over the hills and mountains and whatnot around the coast it looks it does look beautiful and i suppose a few people have done it said it's it's absolutely amazing and uh i think one of your chef mates did it in a in a, in a car a sports car last year maybe i forgot his name now anyway um but yeah it looks great Oh, right, James, I think. James, is it? Yeah, it was. Could have been, yeah. yeah. Um, right, now, 14 years passed since uh, you finished the racing. You ended up in the jungle. What were you thinking? Was that your manager? Was that your PR? Was that your wife? What was it? Said, hey, do you want to know what, Carl? You should go and do that. I mean, the Mr. Intimidator himself, Mr. Angry himself, was about to put himself in the jungle with people. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I... I got asked to do it just after I retired from racing. I'm guessing it would have been about all three or four, something like that. And I, I watched it in them early years. I thought it was fascinating. The concept was was brilliant. And I love being outdoors. I really do. I love camping. I do a bit of fishing, that kind of stuff. I, I love that kind of that. So I said no, obviously. I don't, I don't know why I said no, really. It was me that said no. But back then, Mikel was going, oh, you should do it. And mine's just going, no, yeah, do it. I, I didn't do it, obviously, as you know. So when they came back five years ago, um, Five years ago, whatever it was, ITV just approached me and said, "Do you want to do it?" And Neil Neil Rumble said, "What do you think?" I said, "I really don't know. I don't know." Um, and I went down to London, had a meeting with them. They even come up to my house to and sat down because Mikhail was dead against it. He said, "No, you know what you like. You'll kick off. Everybody fucking hate you. You'll, 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 you'll be this and that." I went, "No, I won't. I'll be. I'll be all right." I, I wasn't sure about it to be honest. I really wasn't. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, this is me. I don't care what anybody thinks. This is me. And I think I surprised myself, really. Um, my, my biggest fear going in there, I think, was the other people. I thought, if you don't get on with them, I've got a problem because it's a, going to be a long and lonely place in there um, if you don't, there's people you don't like. But I've got a great bunch. Everybody got on really well. And then my other challenge is the really that I went in for, really, where I thought, chances are, if I could do it, cope with the other celebrity kind of people. Because I don't really do the old TV celeb thing, if you, you know what I mean. Um, up with the, the food because I like my food. I hate being hungry, so so I wanted to challenge myself to see if I could do that and the boredom as well. And all three things that I went in there for to see if I could do, I, I, I surprised myself really. You know, I really did. I caught with the, the food situation, all right. Um, and, and the boredom, I was always doing something. And, and the other guys, like I said, we all got on really well. And I just love doing the challenges, 
yeah, I mean, it was an amazing experience. It really, it was. I mean, the biggest TV show in the UK, and then you're, you're going to end up winning it. Just for being an ordinary dickhead from Blackburn, I, I don't know. It's crazy, <laughs> isn't it, really? <laughs> so talking of the food then and liking your food, Carl, how was the um, the, the ostrich anus and the camel's cock? Was that, was that tasty? <laughs> It's a bit chewing, a bit hard, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, I think you did really well on it, to be honest. I think you came across really well. Now, you, you, there's obviously now a whole generation that don't know Carl Fogarty, the racer. They know Carl Fogarty yeah. from I'm a Slipper to Get Me Out of Here, you know. Um, I mean, that must be weird. Yeah, it, yeah, I mean, I guess so, yeah. I mean, even before then, wherever you, wherever you go, you get stops and recognised from racing, but... But now, but now more so. It's all like the young, all <laughs> women now. It's him from jungle up blocks. Going, I used to race bikes like blocks from bikes. <laughs> you don't look much jungle, like Tarzan. Uh, <laughs> you are. I said you don't look much like Tarzan. <laughs> it's him from the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> I was. It was amazing. I mean, I've been asked to do so much stuff since then. I'm just that was the one. I thought I I, I do like that concept. But like I say, you cut off from the outside world. Living in this, well, it's a jungle, well, it's not a jungle, it's a rainforest at the end of the day, but it was just, it was an amazing experience. But I've been asked to do dancing on ice, dancing, strictly come dancing. Then bake off, shitty bake off. Programs of yours. Bake off, bake off, bake off, bake off, bake off. You need You're to do the bake off. There's no way. I, BBC tried to get me on that one for a couple of years. I said, look, I'll, I'll watch it next year. I'll watch the first episode. I think it was, what do you call it? Celebrity Chef. Is that what it's called? Yeah. What? And, um, <laughs> I mean, Paul's so offended here. You're talking <laughs> about the Great British Bake Off. I don't think I've been asked to do your one. I'm sure I've not. I might have been asked to do the charity one, actually. Uh, right, that's the one you need to do. Me. And having yeah. someone stood behind me saying, your presentation is all wrong. I'm like, fuck off. I'm like, you know what? Just, you would say the me from old. And I've just said, no, I'm not doing it. I don't want to do it. I've done, I've done the, be- the best one, the jungle one. I'm not doing these dancing ones and cookie ones. I'm, I'm not interested. So you can. Somebody else. I'll put your name down for it, Shake. You certainly come dancing. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. You don't want to see me dancing. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I want to try and get him on. The, I'll, I'll try and get him on Celebrity Bake Off. I think you should do it as well. Oh, it's more God, relaxed. Honestly, my wife watches all that shit. You do. I can't be doing all that cookery <laughs> programs. You think you think we all cookery programs? She watches. She'll be able to cook now. <laughs> can't Michaela cook? Is she <laughs> there? Is she there? <laughs> No, she, of course she's not there because he wouldn't be talking like that, would he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, she's got a duff shoulder at the minute. You won't get a left hook. <laughs> uh, oh, she's shouting in the room now. <laughs> Gallard, Paul, Paul wants me to go on the, the bake-off. Paul wants me to go on the bake-off thing. You'll poison everybody, she says. <laughs> <laughs> it's dead easy. It's honestly dead easy. Yeah. I mean, so are you in a happy place now, Carl? Yeah, I guess so. Apart from being January, being locked in, it's uh, yeah, I am actually, yeah, or, or I should be. Um, you know, it's a, a great, a great life um, so far. Long may it continue. But um, yeah, it's a good place. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, one more question for me then. Talking about good places, Cole Foggett, you can go anywhere, um, anywhere in the world with his family for for one last holiday. Where would that uh, Cole Foggett happy place be? Where is it you like to go to just get away from everything? <laughs> Oh, God, two places, really. Barbados in the winter and Ibiza in the summer. Um, yeah. Or even skiing, actually, in, in, uh, in well, that's free. I don't know. That's three. Sorry, yeah. mate. Yeah. <laughs> I said one. <laughs> so greedy. Probably Ibiza in the summer. I like Ibiza. Just chilled out in Ibiza. Uh, nice restaurant. Nice nice place. Nice beaches. You get out of the way of all the idiots, where, you know, the places they go. But I do love it, though. It's great. Yeah, it's beautiful. 
Well, I think it's been a real it's been a real pleasure chatting to you today, Carlo. I appreciate you you coming on, and we will try and get you on the bake off. I have to do you some lessons, um, but I think we'll, we're going to me and Shaky going to have to join you on this uh, this little trip as well. I'd love you to, yeah, definitely, I'd love you to, yeah, it'll be great. When once it's organised and we find out when we're going to do it, and then I'll I'll, let, I'll drop you I'll drop you a line. Sounds say. good. Sounds good to me. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Carl. Thanks for coming on, mate. Cheers, guys. Appreciate All it. the best. Take, Take care. care guys. See you later. See you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, Carl Fogarty. He's a legend, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he is a legend. And I think um, it's amazing. And I, I didn't want to... Uh, the problem is when you're doing podcasts, you want to get into the person to understand what he's going on. But that is him. He, he's total... His race head came on and he, he saw it. He spoke for nearly 45 minutes on the, his craft. And you must know that. That must have resonated with you quite strongly. Were you thinking at the time... I remember doing that. I, I was doing that. I was thinking like that. I think there was so much, um, there's so much to Carl's career. Um, you know, he's been so successful and listening to him speaking about how, you know, this cost him that and that cost him the other and whatever else. We all do that. We're all guilty of it. Um, you know, we're, we're driven people. We're, we're athletes. We're, we're whatever you want to call us and, and we want to win. So, you know, sometimes we have to, we have to justify things that went wrong by saying, oh, this happened or that happened or whatever. But I always found it fascinating that, that Carl could go off and, you know, do a world superbike double or, or, or win a championship or whatever, but then go back to the Isle of Man TT mm. and, and go and set the fastest ever lap at the time there on a bike that, you know, he won on a Loctite Yamaha, which yeah. wasn't, wasn't really the thing to be on in 92. Um, you know, I, I can't help but wonder, you know, does he sit there super content? Does he sit there mm. thinking, oh, you know, I've won five world championships, four world superbike titles, 59 races, the second most successful ever person in world superbike, which will grate on him. No matter yeah, what he says, that will grate on him because he's always been King Cole Fogarty of world superbike. You know, everybody knows of him from, from world superbike, but the job that, that Jonathan's done now um, in surpassing Six. him is just... Six. Absolutely and on the outstanding. bounce, on the, on the, on bounce, the bounce, yep, um, 99 wins in total. So, yeah, yeah Carl's, Carl's firmly in second place for sure, but um, yeah, just such a, a fascinating guy to listen to and his, his self-belief, you know, uh -huh. you, you, it just just comes through, doesn't it? It still oozes that um, confidence and direction. I think the, there is ambition in there and it bubbles underneath. I just hope he... He is contented now. He seems to be happy and contented. Just jumping on his bike now and going for the and planning these big routes. You know, mm. I think it's been I think it's been a fascinating insight into the world of racing, as it was with you. And I think that mentality of jumping on a bike and thrashing a bike at that speed, hitting corners that you shouldn't be coming out of, and managing to get that grip to take the bike round and racing with other guys of the same mind. I think it's it's a gift. You know. One thing I found really interesting um, about him was the the rival question because I wasn't sure who he would select, if anybody. In, in, in all honesty, Carl's always been so... Um self-centered so self-focused if you like that mm. you know he wouldn't bring himself to even let another person's name enter his head you know <laughs> so I was really uh really impressed actually when he mentioned John Kaczynski because you know John is is a phenomenal rider you know he's picked up by Kenny Roberts in the in the late 80s mm. not a 250cc world champion for Yamaha when that wasn't the bike to be on you know won 500 Grand Prix races obviously went on to win a World Superbike title on the bike that Cole jumped off of, um, you know, an incredible rider. So 
Yeah, it was impressive to hear Carl sort of acknowledge him and acknowledge the uh, the battles that they had. But <laughs> it was also really interesting to hear him say, you know, 20 years later, they sat around a table having lunch together and, and really enjoyed it because Carl was renowned for hating his rivals. You know, yeah. he had he had pot-bellied pigs that he named after <laughs> his rivals deliberately just to wind them up. You know, he was uh, yeah, he was so notorious back in the day. And he even gave you a mention as well saying he's one to watch. And sure enough, a couple of years later, bang, bless him. Six seconds a lap off. I, I would have lapped him. You need to get over that. <laughs> <laughs> you really need to get over that. Right, tea time. Right. 